0: we were based in a wee work it was all very cool like you know we all wore trainers and a hoodie well i don't own a hoodie but you know the, the sort of thing um and we were very separate to the rest of the business nobody really knew we existed and so whenever we would go to sort of corporate hq and um, people would be like sorry who are you like what's your team do i've never heard of you and this this went on for about probably 12 months and we've only been in existence for two years
1: On today's show, we're joined by Louise, an innovation expert and data expert at Experian. She talks all about innovation as well as inclusion across the technology industry. This is Tech Talks. It's your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, that features interviews with leaders as well as a little bit of technology news. Joining me again on today's podcast, I've got a quiche. Chill out your white t-shirt, your baseball cap back on backwards. (laughs) You work a fire.
2: Yeah, I know. It's... uh... Yeah, I think I think I've been washing and, and drying t-shirts over the last few weeks as well. To be fair, that's that's basically all that I've been watching. shorts, t-shirts, socks. I don't think I've worn shoes apart from like trainers for when I've gone out for a bit of a run or a walk or something. Um, In I've fact, been...
1: I've been out for a, yeah, I've been out for a run this morning. I've i put slippers back on.
2: Have you? Yeah, 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 I've got I've got sliders, so um, I'm literally just wearing those around the house. This uh, <laughs> is <just> pretty crazy. <laughs>
1: Um, On on today's show, we've got Louise who uh, works for, uh, she works for Experian and she is, make sure I get the title right, an innovation specialist uh, around data exchange. I find this fascinating. You've bought a house. I'm in the process of trying to buy a house. It's crazy how these companies uh, basically dictate whether or not we get what we want, Experian and, and other credit lenders, or not credit lenders, sorry, credit score companies.
2: Yeah, it's um, it's. Do you know what I, I always I always find it nerve wracking because you feel like you're you're waiting for a decision based by a compu- like based on a on a computer or or like something that's automated. Um, mm. I also remember being on the other side. I used to work in retail. Um, when I was at university and stuff for a. Um, are we allowed to name stores on here? are We allowed to name like
1: i don't see why not they probably won't so, listen anyway mate.
2: <laughs> okay well it was uh it was curry's pc world um but uh yeah so I, I remember like putting finance applications and stuff through and we used to use um the Experian credit score for people but i just find it weird how you're at the mercy of someone or or, or a computer or something. thing or something like and depending on what they you know what mood that that program is in or whatever it's a yes or a no um
1: like for me constantly yeah. the last decade a bad mood
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> me as well 100 percent. i mean i've got i was saying to you earlier i've got a car and finance obviously a house and furniture and bits and, and all that sort of stuff but it's just it's just crazy how yeah. i always find that that i always find that you're very ev- everyone as soon as you start talking about credit scores it's a very nervous conversation because unless people are super into it and, and monitor every little bit of bit of, of the um, score. I don't understand how you can keep on top of it, really. Um, mm. Well, I'm a I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, look, there's, there's plenty that we can sink our teeth into. We'll, we'll skip on to the interview, and then afterwards we'll come back with, with obviously some, um, possibly quite some personal conversation as well as some business <laughs> conversation, because um, it affects all of us, right? And it yeah. will have a bit of tech news at the end. Today's guest is Louise, uh, Louise Maynard. ATEM or ATEM? Make sure I get this right.
0: ATEM. But ATEM is what most people say.
1: And you are an innovation specialist working at Experian. But Mm -hmm. more interestingly, you're one of the top 20 women in data and tech in 2019. So how are you this morning?
0: I am good. I'm, you know, getting cabin fever, probably like everybody else. I seem to spend my entire life on Zoom or some form of WebEx. So, uh, yeah, it's getting a little bit tedious, I'll be honest, but well, I'm surviving, I'm surviving.
1: At the time of recording, we're we're into kind of deep into week three of, of working from home, right, for most people?
0: Yeah, yeah. it's a lot. It's, um, I never thought I'd miss the office quite this much, but I really, really do.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I do, I do. I, I I think there's no shame in saying that I, you know, genuinely miss my colleagues and that yeah. social interaction and actually... Having it taken away, I don't think I'm going to complain about stuff as much when I get it back. No,
0: we well, we say this, so I'm like six months down the line, we'll be back to whinging. But yeah, right yeah, now, I feel like, you know, all the time when people would come over to my desk just to ask me something, I'm like, I'm trying to concentrate, go away. Now all I have to do, all I can do is concentrate. And it's, uh, it's very annoying, <laughs> actually.
1: So the work that you're doing at Experian, um, yeah. you're an innovation specialist, mm-hmm. but it's very heavily focused on data do you mind just very quickly telling us what you do on a day-to-day basis
0: yeah of course um so back when i used to have a a day-to-day routine um the the main focus of the data exchange team which is a team that was set up about two years ago now is to um leverage the power and the capability of what we're calling alternative data. So Experian is a business that's built on sort of traditional like banking data and, you know, doing credit scores and, and things like that. But one of the things I guess we realized is that, you know, there is so much data that's out there now that probably isn't getting used to its full capacity. And when you think about other markets beyond sort of the UK and the US, if I think about like APAC markets, for example, where sort of the traditional credit scoring model has never really existed, we need to sort of rethink what our products and services need to look like for those markets. Um, And that's where alternative data can feature quite heavily. So we can use that to basically, you know, characterize and score consumers in a completely different way to the way it's been done historically in our more mature markets. So the data exchange team has been set up to, to basically leverage alternative data as much as possible and figure out how we can use it to our advantage in the different markets that we work in.
1: And when we're talking about alternative data, mm. specifically, what, what do we mean by that?
0: Um, It could be, it could be anything. It could be sort of like you know wearables data from your phone. It could be or your smartwatch or whatever device you might have. It could be other data from your smartphones because obviously you know we're we're on them all of the time. If not, even more so now. It could be anything like you know utilities data or rental data. One thing I learned when I joined Experience, I've been a renter, still I'm a renter for a really long time, but the fact that I pay my rent every month on time doesn't actually Count towards my credit score. It's not traditional data in that sort of sense. So, mm-hmm. anything that doesn't fall within the usual remit of like banking data or things that go on your credit file are termed as alternative. So, yes, it could be sort of, you know, data from your phone, and that's obviously very topical right now, but it can just be things like, you know, your utility payments or your rental payments or anything that just hasn't been included in the sort of traditional credit scoring before is alternative. I'd- so-
1: I had seen that there was a company out there, Credit Ladder, that were trying to include rental payments into people's yeah. um, credit score. Why, why is it that bigger traditional banks haven't looked at that already? And because it makes sense. Look, I, I've rented for twelve years, and yeah. it does my head in that that track record it's of so regular payments, and it's a huge lump of money for most people every single month, doesn't yeah. contribute to your credit file.
0: It's a it's a strange thing, and I think it's just you know that's just the way that the system was designed and people just didn't really think to revisit, to be honest. And now we're, we're appreciating that, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard to get a mortgage. It's really hard to buy a house. Um, and we need to look at other data points so that, you know, we can understand people's behavior. So whilst I may not have a house or a mortgage or anything like that right now, it doesn't mean that I'm a any like better or worse of a credit risk than somebody who does have a mortgage, because I am making these payments and I live in London, so rent payments are pretty high. Um, yeah. And I'm showing the exact same sorts of behaviors as somebody paying a mortgage. It just hasn't historically been captured. So one of the the many things that that our team was set up to do is try and capture those behaviors that aren't currently being surfaced by the sort of traditional metrics.
1: I suppose the interesting point then is that you're working in this huge organization that does have quite traditional structures I would imagine in place and <laughs> yeah. you are trying to negotiate those and change attitudes or perceptions of people within that organization yeah. it's all very well that you are doing the work that you're doing but it's could be it could be at risk of being siloed if it's not advocated within the wider organization right
0: yeah absolutely and uh, that is a big challenge that any anybody trying to do innovation in a large organization faces so in my previous role I was at BA systems before this I was doing something quite similar Um, and there's a lot of innovation theater going on in corporates at the moment which is that you know everybody wants to say oh we're doing innovation because it's the cool buzzword of the day but I mean to really commit to it it has to be something that is both top down and bottom up and has the support from the wider organization, it can't be done in a little silo on the side and not really be integrated into the rest of the business. Because if you if you have too much separation, then you will never be able to actually grow anything just beyond like a little pet project. It needs to mm. be integrated into the wider business. And so the wider business needs to be on board from the start. So I guess... When I first started Experian, our team was based out of a WeWork uh, and we won't we won't get into too much detail on talking about Works in general, but we were based in a WeWork. It was all very cool. Like, you know, we all wore trainers and a hoodie. Well, I don't own a hoodie, but you know, the, the sort of thing. Um, and we were very separate to the rest of the business. Nobody really knew we existed. And so whenever we would go to sort of corporate HQ, um, people would be like, sorry, who are you? Like, what's your team do? I've never heard of you. And this, this went on for about, probably 12 months and we've only been in existence for two years um so we realized that it was we weren't maybe taking the right approach straight away by having us so separated from the rest of the business and that our success was very much predicated on being able to work alongside and within the structures of Experian as a as a large organization so we've We've got rid of the WeWork office. We are are now based with the rest of the team. um, And we make sure that we try and bring stakeholders along from the very start, rather than just saying, we've got this idea, then we're just going to throw it over the fence and drop it on you. And then it's largely just going to fall by the wayside. So it's trying to be as integrated as we possibly can, but at the same time, trying to change people's mindsets and trying to get them to work in a slightly different way than they would have done before.
1: Even though it didn't work, I suppose the fact you're in a WeWork is a very positive sign, though, for how seriously the business took it. Because it surely is more expensive to put a team in a WeWork and recognize that they need to have a different culture in the first place for it to succeed, even Mm -hmm. if then when it was born out, it didn't quite work for various reasons.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think... What's great about Experian is that the the leadership team are very, very committed to this. And I don't believe that they're just paying lip service to like, oh, yeah, let's do innovation because it's cool. They are willing to try new things, but they're also willing to say, okay, that didn't quite work. That wasn't quite the right way to do this. We accept that we made a bit of a mistake there. Let's learn from it. Let's fix it. So I guess what is quite refreshing is that they're willing to say, okay, didn't didn't get it right that time. But let's take what we learned from that and, and do something better the next time. So that's quite how, what we're to see.
1: How do you keep that organizational sponsorship light on and going? Because this isn't the kind of thing where you can go, oh, here's results on the bottom line and yeah. here's instant impact. And when times get tough, I would imagine there are other departments that are going, hey, that pot of money, we, we would need it for this project, for that project, you know what's that team really delivering? You need that real strong committed sponsorship and keeping that going must be difficult.
0: Yeah, it is. And I mean, it's in times in the times that we're in right now, it is, it is exceptionally difficult, but I guess what our leadership are quite committed to is the fact that, you know, what we've, what we've done to date has gotten us here, but for where we want to get to, we can't just keep doing the same things. And, You know, we are constantly banging the drum and making sure that everybody is aware of of what's going on and all of the things we are doing. But you're right. We don't necessarily contribute to bottom line revenue. Um, So in times like the times we're in now, making the business case is that bit more difficult. But I think our leadership team are very committed to the fact that we have to do things differently. And even in the very turbulent times that we're in right now, that resolve hasn't really weakened I mean, things could change, but at the moment, I think they're still very committed to the fact that we're in completely unprecedented times right now. And therefore, we need to innovate probably more so than we ever did before, because we're in situations that we've never been in before, which means we're going to need completely different solutions. And I guess that's where an innovation team like ours probably comes into its own. Changing
1: tack slightly, Mm -hmm. your route into the industry, you did a PhD in materials chemistry.
0: Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing to do with anything that I do now, to be honest. So, for a really long time, I wanted to be a professor. I wanted to to teach at the university level. Chemistry was my well, kind of my favorite subject. When I was about nine or ten, I decided I wanted to win a Nobel Prize. Um, (laughs) There are only certain areas that you can get Nobel prizes in, so I had to pick one of those areas. I wasn't any good at physics didn't really like economics, never wanted to be a doctor or anything like that. So I thought, well, chemistry seems fair or literature. Uh, and I'm still holding out for the literature one. But um, I thought I'll, I'll do chemistry because you can get a Nobel Prize in that. So for ages, I was convinced I was going to become this like, great academic kind of like Einstein. <laughs> um, and I figured right to do this, I need to uh, get a PhD because you, know, you have to have one of those and then I'll work as an academic and then I'll become a professor and I'll have all this do all this great research um, and I suppose I got pretty far down that route I probably got you know to midway through my PhD and I realized I actually don't Really think this is for me. Actually, I don't particularly enjoy working in academia, primarily because I think I'm more of a practical person, and I like to, you know, take what I learnt and actually apply it to like real world problems. And that isn't necessarily um, the main focus of a lot of academic research. So I thought, well, let me, let me finish the PhD because I've started, so I'll finish. Um, and then it was kind of a case of, all right, well, I know, I know I don't want to do that anymore, but I'm not entirely sure what I do want to do. So I thought, uh, I'll do a grad scheme. <laughs> so I did. Uh, I did an operational research grad scheme. So I went into government and um, did lots of cool things there. And again, it still wasn't quite right for me. I was solving the real world problems, but it still wasn't sort of the right piece for me so then I moved into private sector and thought okay this is probably more the speed at which I would like to work but um not hadn't quite yet settled on the right industry yet so I was in defense at that point I was like "Mm, still still not quite right but I suppose the thread in all of this is that I've always been working with data so even in like way back in my PhD throughout every job that I've done the main focus of what I've been working on has been data and using that data to make better decisions Um, and so when the opportunity at Experian came along it was it was exactly that it was like we need to take advantage of data we need to use that data to help people derive insights and make better decisions and it just felt like it was all of the things that I've been trying to put together in a role in one role. So it was a circuitous path, is probably the best way to describe it. But there's kind of been a, a thread of continuity running through the whole thing, I like to believe.
1: You, you were always then very focused on STEM.
0: Yes. Yeah. Have you
1: always had support from, I don't know what your parents do, but from support from your parents, from your family, from teachers, or has anyone ever gone uh oh, you know it's not really an area where women thrive because i have and that's an awful thing to say but i have heard from countless young women that that is the exact objection that they meet that people say it's not really an, it's not really an area where women thrive which is not a thing
0: yeah i mean so i guess So I was raised by my mum. I've got one sister. So I was raised in an all-female household. I went to an all-girls school up until 18, all-female teaching staff. So I never really met those objections when I was young. I've met them since I've been an adult. But when I was a kid, there was never a case of, oh, you know, girls don't really do this. This is more of a boys subject because I was just surrounded by women the whole time. I got Mm -hmm. to university though. And then that's when I noticed a bit of a disparity in that, you know, there weren't so many females on my course I had don't think I had any female lecturers maybe at all and um I think I was in my master's year when a professor told me that if I wanted to be taken seriously in science then I should definitely do a PhD because then nobody would know I was a woman until they met me which I thought was pretty harsh. Um, I was like, well, true, doctor doesn't have a gender. So he's like, yeah, so if you get a doctorate title, they won't know you're a woman. And then at least until they meet you, they'll take you seriously. <laughs> so, wow. Oh, excellent. That's lovely. Um, and I don't think he was particularly ill-intentioned. I mean, he was he was preparing me. He also, he thought, for what was to come. And, you know, he's probably quite right about that. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't until I got no, you know, I started working or was in academia that I really started to notice that divide and there were fewer and fewer women around me. Uh, and then I went into defense, which was a very, very male focused sector. And even even in Experian, which is financial services, yes, there are far fewer women than I would like to see. Um, so I don't really know where that sort of that distinction comes from because it never happened for me in childhood, but it has happened since I've been working. So I'm a bit, yeah, I'm I'm dismayed by it, I suppose is the best Mm. word for it, but it makes me more driven to push into these areas that are historically quite male dominated because there's no reason for that to still be the case. And I think the more other women can see like, like people of all backgrounds and colors and creeds and the like, you know, doing the roles that haven't historically been done by a more diverse group of people, the more they are likely to think, Oh yeah, well, if she can do it, then so can I. So it's, it makes for quite depressing, <laughs> quite a depressing sort of picture, sadly, but I think it, it encourages me and it spurs me on to do more of the things that I'm doing because I think it shows people that it's possible. And I think that's what a lot of women in particular are missing.
1: And you mentioned their different backgrounds and all colours and 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 you know, you've got to think about all different socioeconomic backgrounds as well. If you're kind of broadening out that conversation and you're talking about kids who are coming from socially deprived areas, mm-hmm. but we're both from Northern England, so I think we yeah. can kind of relate to aspects of that. Uh, uh, but also, you know, minority groups, et cetera, and not just women. What do you say to those people in conversation? Have you had an opportunity to talk to a 14, 15-year-old who is thinking about GCSEs, who is thinking about STEM subjects?
0: Yeah. You know,
1: What are the benefits when you get there, when you get into a role like you have now, yeah. that make it exciting, that make it a great place to work?
0: I think... I think the thing that STEM gives me or has always given me is like it's just it gives you a really logical way of thinking about things and it gives you a really like tangible framework for solving problems and it's just it's beneficial across every sort of industry vertical every type of role that I've done that grounding that I've gotten from like having a STEM education has been I'd break things down into sort of like manageable chunks and know how to solve a problem I might not be familiar with the space that the problem is in but I know how to go about solving any problem to be honest and I think that is something that STEM gives you more so than anything else so if I was talking to like my 14 year old self actually not my 14 year old self because I was very annoying at 14 um (laughs) 14 year old I would say you know if, if it's something that you're passionate about then don't let any of the other like exterior considerations stop you so I went to like I said, a very, very, very fancy girl school. But, you know, I grew up in a city, Manchester, probably not, the probably one of the really not nice bits of Manchester, actually. Um, and I was super fortunate to, you know, get the opportunities that I did. Um, I was on a, an assisted play scheme. I don't know if you remember those, but it was when the government would pay for like uh, smart kids from um socially deprived areas to go to very fancy schools basically Mm. i think it got abolished in like 97 or 98 um but because of you know i got that opportunity and i got to experience a you know a fantastic education and, and that was all great but i did often feel like like a bit of an outsider in in scenarios like that and that's perfectly natural and you'll you'll kind of carry that with you wherever you go in life but i guess the thing that kept me going was that like, you know, I'm just as capable as any of these people around me. And and I have, I have a right to be in this room. And I carry that with me even today, even though, you know, I'm usually the only person of color in a room, I'm the only woman in the room, but I just have to remind myself that I have every much as of a right to be here as everyone else in this room, because, you know, I have the the right background in terms of my knowledge you know i've got good points to bring to the table and i think you just need to keep reminding yourself that you know you're there in that room for a reason and it's because you've got something to contribute so you just need to keep remembering that through all of the various obstacles that you know life and situations are going to throw at you
1: Mm. look it's been fascinating to talk to you i'm really very grateful for you giving up some time uh as much as you haven't had to travel to the, to the, to the interview, <laughs> yeah. you are still busy. Um,
0: nice change. It's been a nice break in my
1: routine. <laughs> so thank you for your time and uh, continue to keep safe.
0: Thank you. You too.
1: Yeah, look, I, in the intro, I mentioned about the fact that I'm trying to buy a house at the minute. And when she started talking about alternative data versus traditional data, that interests me. I know that there are there are companies out there that are trying to include uh, rental payments Mm. but it frustrates the hell out of me that i'm paying close to two grand a month almost and i have paid at at times over that a month in various different flats around london and that doesn't go against the fact that i can make regular payments on a consistent basis to when to things like applying for a mortgage it's so infuriating it it doesn't
2: go i think uh, i think it's also just being able to back yourself up in terms of consistent income as well um yeah i'd like even other memberships you know things like uh, or or where you're having to pay regularly to use a service or a product um you know what about i'm not sure if like your your tv subscriptions like your skies and, and and bt's netflix. and and yeah netflix um gym memberships you know some people i know are paying quite a lot for a, for a gym you know within three yeah, yeah. figures um i know one guy who's pay, who pays about 200 pounds for a gym that he uses but you know yeah,
1: 45 i oh, mean that's not that's, that's, that's a huge it,
2: amount of money no it's um it's some like it's really like, some some bougie funky one that's just opened up in um liverpool street um and it's got all the like the the instagram influencers that go there and take loads of pictures oh, and right. stuff. so yeah, yeah I, th- I think he's bought into that but um but it's near enough 200 pounds a month. Um. And and you kind of think if someone's doing that over a year or or a couple of years, then surely that sort of, you know, that that sort of payment um, history should be taken into account. I, yeah, I, I, think I,
1: I, I think I I think I spend more on the gym than I do. No, not that I do on council tax, but it's not far off.
2: Hmm. Hmm. You
1: know, exactly. and. Why does one count and the other doesn't? I suppose one isn't on a contract basis. One I can cancel on three months' notice, and
2: yeah, yeah.
1: But still, you're right. Like you know, it's 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 proof that you can pay on a consistent basis, and I suppose it's it's this other thing that traditional versus alternative. Maybe it's kind of like you know, Generation uh, Z millennials. Have a non-traditional lifestyle compared to the way that we used to to manage and and think about credit. I've lived in eight different properties in my twelve years in London.
2: Hmm. Hmm. I think so. I, th- I think also the way of giving uh, the the way of paying stuff back has changed as well, which is has led to maybe being a bit more. Maybe that's why alternative data should get taken into account a bit more. Because think about it, what fifteen fifteen twenty years ago, if you had to pay bills or whatever i remember when i was young certain bills you had to was it called a gyro or something like you had to take it into the post office and then pay and all that sort of stuff whereas now everything's done from your phones right um you don't you don't even need your card with you your card could be at home you could be in the car and you could pay like your your you could pay your mortgage you could pay your phone bills you could pay electricity whatever i think i think those sorts of well changes in in how we are actually treated and, and how we act as a consumer should maybe get taken into account and, and and think right you know that old traditional against um, the, the, the kind of modern way of, of paying back um, well
1: I increasingly pay for stuff through my phone bill as well I'll just I'll put it on my phone bill because that obviously comes up as an option so films and stuff through Google Play because mm. I'll i just add to my phone bill yeah yeah well exactly and, and, and other subscription services like Strava or something like that if I'm paying a little bit extra for something
2: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and I think th- there's a lot of options like that now um I was I was looking up some recipes the other day and you can actually add, you can go on like a, a recipe app and, and have, I don't know, 30 new recipes a day and it all gets put into like a subscription. So every month you have different recipes that you don't, mm. that you've not tried before and things. So yeah, even little things like that, I, th- I think it's just, um, you know, going back to, to to Louise's point, I think other data needs to get, definitely needs to get taken into account when you're looking at that because when we come out of this whole crisis that we're in, and I'm sorry to go on about it again, you know there needs to be a financial boom for us to get back to, to you know the the lost time, right? Uh, so,
1: well, it needs to make it easier for people like us to access money yeah. and borrow money if we're if well, we're going yeah. to be useful consumers in the economy. Exactly,
2: exactly, exactly. And if you look globally, there will be you know a lot of responsibility will be on the on the younger demographic in the market to you know a spend a bit more or invest a bit more you know buy lenders, houses, buy houses. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly so lenders need to be a little bit more lenient i think now um when we come out of this phase yeah and, and 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 people like louise and her team i'm sure will be helping towards that um
1: yeah absolutely you know, i mean the, the current situation only only strengthens the argument that it should be like well hang on a minute why aren't we taking into account the fact that most millennials have lived in god knows how many flats and you know mm we shouldn't be penalizing them because they've had three different addresses in five years or whatever.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
1: Modern living, modern living. (laughs) Right. Um, what about innovation theater? It's the first time I've heard someone describe it as innovation theater. Uh, you know, everyone likes to talk about innovation and therefore it's kind of like a showcase rather than anything else. Um, and I, and I love the way that she talks about, it can't be, in a silo which obviously is something that a lot of people talk about that makes perfect sense it needs the whole organization to buy into it but i've never really thought about the fact that a lot of organizations then do go and say well we want something to be free and to have the room to do its own thing so therefore we're going to put it in a we work and that's mm. like a model that a lot of companies have gone for over the last couple of years they're taking it off site they put it in a in a different environment where it could be its own
2: thing mm. but that
1: obviously of, physically puts it in a silo
2: yeah yeah i think i think um a, a lot of a lot of the big, um, a lot of the big banks have done similar. Um, Morgan Stanley, I, I think they, Morgan Stanley, have a weird model where they um, they actually go around picking up like business founders and and tech leaders and saying, hey, I, I think they actually call it like an incubation hub or something yeah. like that, um, or you, you know, something something along those lines, and it, and it's all to do with having that creativity, having the ideas. I agree with them to. I don't know if we're if, we're, if we share the same opinion on this, Dave. But I agree with them to a certain extent, where I think the initial phase should be completely separate from the business because it allows for it doesn't allow for people's ideas to get skewed. You know, it doesn't allow for any judgment. Um, think about it. If you were to to be an experience like she mentioned, you know, um, wearing what hoodies and trainers and all that sort of stuff if people are wearing suits or even, you know, small things like that, you know, you don't want to cast any judgment on, on what you're trying to create or what you're trying mm-hmm. to do. So you kind of go off site um, and you just stay there for, for however long you need until there is some sort of product and still, uh, you know, until you need more kind of collaboration with the business. And then you kind of just, you know, drip it through really.
1: Um I suppose it proves how important that communication piece is because you said they've been around for about two years. The first twelve months no one really knew they existed. If I yeah. think about the successful examples of innovation where it's been done off site and we spoke to Aviva a couple of years ago on the podcast, you know, the digital garages one of the strengths of that was that it was a place where people went and they learned that it was okay to fail and then they they carried that back into the business. But people were very aware of it. And if the business don't advertise that that exists, mm. then you've got a real problem.
2: Yeah, I, I, then it all just comes down to to sponsorship and and, and communication, right? Just mm. just going back on 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 everything, going back to basics. And I think um, yeah, we've either done it well. There's a few other places. Um, in, again, in terms of financial services, Citibank, they've done it really well. They've made like an asset insurance model or or asset insurance business um, out of the we work just based in the back of Finsbury Circus. But um, I think if we go back and the whole senior, senior leaders need to be on board, I think, as much as the people that are running these innovation centers. And I think if they drip feed it through to, to their teams and their tech teams and, you know, engineers and that sort of thing um, and encourage collaboration at a kind of ground level from day one, um, maybe if, even if it's just like a video call or, you know, just a hey guys or a like a Thursday night you know let's meet that team and and go for a beer or whatever after work i think little things like that to encourage relationship building will go a long way um Mm -hmm. and that will help when and one day they integrate back into the business but also here's another argument some people just want to be in that innovation center right they don't really want to be part of the main business they they see themselves as, as being you know that kind of creative hub um I am sure businesses might find it a struggle to to integrate people and and businesses and and groups like that back into the business I'm sure. Yeah. So I don't know I don't know I don't know what the um, yeah what the outcome of that would be um from that side. Really.
1: The other point that I wanted to pick up on um and obviously if you've got anything else that you thought was interesting beyond that then then throw it in there but I I thought the point that she made about uh, a professor telling her that she needed a PhD to be taken seriously in science was just, mm. its it was one of those moments where you kind of go, wow. And then you kind of go, why am I shocked? Like everything that I know about the world tells me that I shouldn't be shocked. Mm. Yet when you hear it said to someone that they were told that to be taken seriously, they would need a PhD because once you become a doctor, you're not Mr. or Mrs. Mm. That is just shocking
2: yeah that's that was was pretty hard to hear actually to be honest um but then like you said um when I heard it earlier this morning I was kind of just going back over the interview again same as you I just thought bloody hell we're, we're living in 2020 right um yeah we're living in this age where we're meant to be so advanced um technologically we're meant to be you know kind of um all, all, all the kind of rights and, and, and all the movements and, and and that sort of stuff. And you've got a, a woman here who wants to kind of excel in her scientific career. And, and she's been told by a, by a senior person who's a lecturer who I'm sure has, at that point, has many more years of experience compared to her, mm-hmm. is saying, well, you know, I've made it this far, maybe because I'm a guy and I'm a bloke. But listen, if you want to go far, then you, you've got to do a PhD you know what if she didn't hmm. do a phd then is he is he trying to say that oh you're not going to get considered um you know phd it'll cheap.
1: just be harder
2: yeah, yeah no no absolutely they're not cheap as well so what if she was not in a position to do that it's just i don't know it's ridiculous i hope she's gone back to that person um which is i don't know if, if we could follow up and ask him. i hope she's gone back to that person and, and you know kind of asked his thoughts about because she's obviously being being recognized in the industry right um hmm. With a lot of awards and, and kind of tech women awards and, and and accreditation. So I hope she goes back to that, that person and, and and says, look, you know, I've made it this far. I'm not sure. Because I think she also says it again, like her PhD has got what well, minimal things to do with what she's doing now, right? Um mm-hmm. which is which is crazy. But yeah, I, I didn't I I I just think Again, we need to grow up a lot more. Um... And
1: your point about the cost is, is not an insignificant one because obviously we're not just talking about gender. We're talking about various different demographics. If you need that doctorate just to be taken seriously and you put gender to one side mm. and you're saying that you, you need that to be taken seriously in science, well, it excludes a whole tranche of the population where that, that financially is probably beyond reach.
2: Yeah, exactly. And also, I don't think you can be saying things like that to people that want to excel. You know, the the argument within, well, within the industry over the last few years has been there's not many people doing, you know, STEM qualifications or or STEM degrees and these sorts of things. So then you you have people that willingly want to do something. And then you have lecturers or senior people telling them, well, you know, if you want to do something in any of those disciplines, you have to go all the way to the top. You know, you can't just you can't just do a university degree and maybe do some extra qualifications and 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 kind of go from there but yeah it's um it's not ideal um but we have heard of this stuff happening you know yeah. When, yeah. when will it when will it stop um i'm I'm in the camp of i don't think it will ever stop personally um to, to be completely honest with you as long as we are as long as we are humans, there will be an element of bias um i i'm I'm kind of that from that that approach.
1: Yeah, which which might
2: be different. Well, I don't know. I don't know if that's different to you, Dave. Um, I don't know where.
1: No, I th- I think. Yeah. I mean, look, I I I don't understand why, when we have an industry that's crying out for more inclusion and a broader church and more people to be involved, we mm. are culturally and physically making it harder.
2: Mm. Yeah, one hundred percent. Anyway. Hard.
1: Louise, thank you for being our guest. We will take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about Apple once a month tech talks opens the tuck shop a youtube tech news roundup which is kindly carried by disruptive live disruptive live is the uk's first and only 24 7 tv channel for the technology industry stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the disruptive live website and social media channels you can also catch disruptive live at some of the largest global technology events broadcasting from london manchester singapore dubai and many more welcome back to tech talks um so 4.7 inches is the new small
2: <laughs> where
1: are you going with this dave
2: <laughs> <laughs> apparently the iphone 6
1: 7 and 8 were too large so have you seen that the uh, the, uh, the, the, the second generation iphone se Right. Is their new cheap smaller model that they've announced as of yesterday. So it's Apple Apple have announced a new three hundred and ninety-nine dollar iPhone SE for twenty twenty.
2: Right. Okay. So it's it's a smaller one, right? Is this what? Is it smaller yeah. than the usual one? Okay. So
1: it looks like the the iPhone eight, but has more modern specs. So it looks like our work phone effectively. Yep. yeah. But it's got kind of sixty-four gig storage, better camera, better processor. Um oh. As well, the processor should give it a longer lifespan. Um, I think this is interesting. This is this is this is the reason why I picked it out. Is I think this is unusual for Apple because Apple have always gone high end, high end, high end. And whilst they have released slightly cheaper phones, and they had the C versions or whatever else that were plastic and and kind of different Mm. colours. It, they haven't done it for a little while, and I kind of thought they were heading in the premium, premium, premium to try and separate themselves from the fact that everyone else is caught up in a smartphone game. And here they are with a smaller, cheaper phone entering or trying to compete with a different part of the market to what traditionally they do.
2: Do you, do you think they do you think they they feel comfortable that they've already got the market share at the 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 premium end, and then they've they've gone right, let's let's try to get some market share elsewhere. Think I, I think they, I think they're
1: probably looking at what's coming out of of places like China, yeah, um, uh, that aren't viral. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, look, they're looking at you That's know a good one. What, yeah. what, what Huawei are making, what OnePlus are making, yeah. uh, and <laughs> the Android is very very strong. I think in a slight, you know, they are missing out on a on a huge chunk of the market for people mm. who are going. You know what? I don't want to pay nine hundred, a thousand £1, pounds, eleven hundred quid on a new phone, mm. but I can get something that basically does the same thing yes. for five hundred quid, and I have a OnePlus for that very yeah. reason. I just went, you know what? It does everything I need it to do. Why yeah. am I gonna pay this ridiculous amount of money for something that isn't twice as good?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. And and I'm I'm the complete opposite to you. So I've got the whatever it is, the the latest one X um, or eleven or whatever it is um pro max whatever you call it um but the, but then i'm from the the lazy category where I, because i've got all my itunes and contacts and, and all that sort of stuff and, and i've been with apple for a while i just do it because of, it's easier right and it's just you it comes up to upgrade time and you just get the new phone and then that's it you're done but i, I don't where, where does ease become like hang on a minute I'm paying 60 yeah. quid a month. Well, I, th- I think it does now um, where where I'm having to kind of review my finances and where we are within the market. Yeah, um, And it's only up until the other day, I was kind of looking at, you know, how many kind of outgoings and stuff I had and looked at my phone bill. I was like, oh God, okay, am I paying this much? You know, so it it becomes, it maybe yeah. becomes an issue when people start to feel a little bit you know, kind of um, strained on the financial side. So I don't know if a
1: Coincidence. I mean, I'm sure that this phone has been in the works far longer than the pandemic has been around for obvious... Yeah. It takes a while to get a phone to market, but it might have been timed
2: accidentally very well. Yeah, exactly. And especially... Is it only coming out in America, did you say? Or is it... No, no, I don't think so. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, well, yes. And apparently in America, this is the highest unemployment rate they've ever had within yeah. you know 30 40 years and lo and behold there's suddenly a new cheaper version of you know the phone that everyone wants and and, and that sort of thing so i don't know apple apple is still quite clever i think we we, we may seem that oh this is a bit of a, a weird situation what are they doing but suddenly they've they've you know maybe seen something else that we haven't really um, interesting yeah. piece
1: of consumer tech anyway with yeah. maybe a change of direction and consumer habits going
2: on there i could do, um, yeah i could do with them releasing a cheaper apple watch to be honest
0: <laughs>
2: yeah <that's laughs> that, yeah i mean if, if they do listen well i don't know if they do listen but if somehow this gets to them of i could do with might. a, yeah i could do with a watch around about well, 150 200 quid to be honest i'm not paying 500 pound um for, 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 yeah exactly so
1: well we'll, it, we'll tag him in a post and ask
2: yeah what's the guy's name tim cook is it tim yeah. cook is the ceo yeah, yeah, yeah. he wants <laughs> a cheaper watch yeah, excuse me mate.
1: <laughs> Thank you for joining me on today's show, Keish.
2: No problem. No problem.
1: And we will be back next week.